Kendall, thank you again for that kind introduction. Uh, good morning, friends. Uh, it is a privilege to be here with you all this morning. I bring uh, greetings uh, from Christ United Fellowship, and we're so grateful for your pastor, George Robertson. We met several years ago where he invited me to preach at First Pres Augustine. I've been so grateful to have the opportunity to continue relationship with him. You all are truly blessed. Uh, we are also incredibly grateful for the partnership that we have with uh, Campus Outreach. That is one of the highlights of our year when uh, upwards of uh, 60 to 70, sometimes 75 college students dawn upon our worship service and uh, help us uh, blow the roof off that thing uh, in the name of Jesus, if you will. Uh, I also bring greetings on behalf of your moderator, uh, Kay Storp, who is a dear friend and workout buddy of mine down in Orlando. Now, at this time, I want to invite you all to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Our verses of focus will be uh, 8 through 16. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. In your pew Bibles, it's page 1007. And if you have an iPhone, turn to it there or whatever apparatus that possesses the word of God. And you'll find these words recorded. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, And him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the promises contained therein. We ask you now to bless us with understanding. We pray that you would move, that you would remove the veil off of blind eyes, the block out of deaf ears. Turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. By the power of your spirit, give us understanding and build us up. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me for this, your task. May my words be yours and what is not of you, let it fall to the ground. 
Oh, God, hide me behind the cross. I boast now in my weakness that your power may rest upon me. Not to us, O oh Lord, be the glory, not to us, but to you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, living in the vacation capital of the world, Orlando, I've learned a few things about the longings of the heart that I think are true across ages, across generations, old and young. As a kid growing up in Miami, we would take trips to Disney World, the Magic Kingdom, the place where dreams come true, where dreams become a reality. And uh, maybe some of you can recall these days taking trips to different locations. There was a certain excitement that welled up inside you. You couldn't wait to get to this destination. You couldn't wait to escape from home. And whenever you arrived there at Disney for us, you were greeted with open arms. You were greeted with smiles from everybody, no matter what kind of day they were having. You saw all the characters in the books that you had read, the movies that you had seen. And it was a land of bliss. The food was good. The rides were fun. But then when it was time to go home, you got this feeling inside your stomach. Uh, you got that return sort of disappointment, that return law, because it was time to leave this land of excellence that you were frequenting for a few days. And uh, for us, it was characterized by my mother reminding us of all the things that we had to do when we returned home. Uh, she, she would remind us that even after the vacation is finished, bills still must be paid. True? Yes. She would not only do that, she would remind us that clothes needed to be washed, they needed to be folded, and your clothes needed to be ironed for the week. I grew up in a house like that where my clothes were ironed, pressed for the entire week. And so before I could, we could get well down the turnpike, I was already reminded that I was leaving my promised land of source to return home to all the hardships that uh, would arrest me upon arrival. Well, uh, I found this to uh, be the case even as an adult. Uh, we, as I told you, live in Orlando, and I've seen this with other families. So I know that we're not unique and we're not strange. Uh, we moved downtown uh, to downtown Orlando in 2015, so we're coming up on five years. And every single year, every single month of those five years, we have had someone either living in our house or visiting our house. Uh, oftentimes, those people that are visiting our house stop by seeking discount rates on their way to Disney World. And we are not annual pass holders. Uh, but we get uh, invited by the families that pass through very often. And in fact, uh, recently a friend of mine was visiting and his family went to stay at one of the nice hotels there. And we came up to dine with them and we peered out the window and noticed how pristine the grass was. He said to me, there's not one blade of grass that is uncut. There's not one sidewalk where trash is to be found. It was paradise of some sorts. And he said this, gazing out the window as uh, his vacation was coming to a close. I could imagine that that return disappointment was 
moving inside his belly as well. Uh, when we take our kids, as an adult now, I see this. They get excited, their eyes light up. And we're the greatest parents on the face of the earth when we're going to the magic kingdom. But when it's time to return home, the meltdown begins. You would think that we are the worst parents on the planet. You would think that we're trying to rob our kids of their joy and their happiness. And you see, I can empathize with them because I remember those days when I had to return home from a, a nice vacation as well. Well, for me as an adult, now I cannot ride those rides anymore. My back and my head and my joints can't tolerate those things anymore. Football did a number on me. But oh, to leave the presence of those five pound turkey legs. <laughs> oh, that's a deep struggle for me. That's a deep struggle. So many good things have happened around those five pound turkey legs. You know what I'm talking about, those big drumsticks. You won't find them anywhere else on earth except down in, down in Orlando. That's my pitch for Orlando. In fact, I bonded over those five pound turkey legs with friends. I bonded with my third daughter at the time. I've got four girls, my third oldest. While she was sitting in a stroller, we were nibbling on that five pound turkey leg as people were walking by. And they were saying, oh, as I was eating it. And they were saying, ooh, as she was eating it. And then as we were leaving one day, when my in-laws came to visit, my brother-in-law asked me to grab him one of those five pound turkey legs. And so what do you think I did? I grabbed one for myself as well as we were leaving the theme park. So when I was exiting, I had two five pound turkey legs in my hand. And this group of cheerleaders were walking by. And one of the cheerleaders yelled out, that is so disgusting. He has two of those turkey legs in his hand. To which I replied, hmm, and it sure is good. So those are the struggles that I face when I have to return back home from a wonderful vacation. And I would hazard a guess that many of you in here know that feeling. And I think, I think uh, that feeling is related to our longing for a better homeland than the one we know. A longing for a homeland where the troubles of this life no longer exist. And the Hebrew writer encourages our hearts this morning as he directs our attention to the better country that God has for those who are in Christ. And we'll see because God promises his people an eternal home in his comforting presence, we can trust him amidst the present trials of this life. We can trust God because he promises us a better country. As we move through this text, I want us to consider three divisions for our time this morning. That's the call to a better country, the journey to a better country, and the reward of a better country, the journey, the call, the journey, and the reward. If you look there at verse eight, the Hebrew writer says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. If you jump down to verse 15, it says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, 
they would have had opportunity to return. Abraham serves as an illustration of how God redeems his people. We see that God calls his people by grace out of their former life into the new way of life following after him. If you go to Genesis chapter 12, you'll see there where Abraham is called. He is a given a promise and he's given a purpose. In Genesis chapter 12, verse one, we see in the Hebrew that there's a past perfect there. Moses uses a past perfect. God had called Abraham, which means that the calling came, the divine calling came sometime when he was in Ur. All right. And then he moved, he sojourned with his family and they took a stop in Haran. And there God said, Abraham, this is not the final destination that I have for you. And so God nudges Abraham along to this place called Canaan. Now, God didn't call Abraham because of anything that was good in him. God didn't call Abraham because of anything that was excellent about him. Abraham didn't possess anything that garnered God's attention. It was solely by grace. In fact, Joshua tells us in chapter 24 that Abraham was a part of an idol-worshiping family. So God redeemed Abraham by his grace from a family that had no concern for the true and living God. Abraham was in a family that was a pagan family that was engaged in worshiping every other God except the real one. And this reminds us of how God deals with us. He calls us from death into life. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter two, you were dead. We were dead in our trespasses, but God. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Dead men and dead women don't seek after God. They're dead. Spiritually, they have no concern for the things of God. Even though God has made himself known to us in creation. We don't seek after him. No one seeks the Lord is what the Bible says. It's solely by God's grace that he reaches down and pulls us out of the pit of destruction. If you jump down to verse eight in Ephesians, Paul says, for grace, you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works that so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So grace precedes our faith and works flow from our faith in Christ. We are saved by grace alone, but saving grace never stands alone as the reformers say. We've got these uh, two older uh, members of our church who I love dearly and they Whenever they share their testimony, they remind me, Michael, we, we came to the Lord when we were around your age. And they, they remind me that we were sinning and we were having a good time doing it until the Lord found us. Uh, some of you all may have that testimony. Some of y'all can recall the days of when you were having a good old time down by the river and the Lord dropped you a lifeline and raised you up from drowning, raised you up out of the pit of despair, raised you from death to life. And so it is how God deals with us. It has nothing to do with our pedigree. It has nothing to do with our academic prowess. It has nothing to do with how much wealth we own. It has nothing to do with our heritage. It has nothing to do with our social standing. 
It has nothing to do with anything that we possess in this life. We come to God empty, empty handed. God comes to us and reaches down and he rescues us. He sets us free from our bondage to sin. Abraham was a wealthy man. Abraham had a lot of possessions. Abraham evidently had a lot of family around him that he treasured because he lingered there in Haran. And so God broke free that idol. God broke free whatever it was that was stopping Abraham from obeying him. It's all by grace. God called him to leave his family, a familiar place to an unknown territory. That's why he was, when you read Abraham's story, he, he slow stepped slightly in the beginning. And God nudged him along. God moved him along into a place that was unfamiliar to him. God said, I want you to leave and go to this land about which I will tell you. He did not know what the land was initially. So God called him, as Martin Luther King would say, to step out, to take a step when there was no staircase visible. That's what faith is. It's taking a step when we can see no steps available. So God said, you follow me and I will tell you where this journey will end. Jesus tells us, and everyone who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So there is blessing associated with departing from the things that are most familiar to us to follow God on a journey where things may become radically unfamiliar to us. But the Lord says, trust me, better lies ahead. We see here that God's call is a heavenly prompting. It was an effectual call. It accomplished what God set out to do. It was a heavenly prompting to do a sacrificial, a sanctified, if you will, about faith in pursuit of God's will. Abraham was called to turn and to break free and to pursue God's will. It says here in verse 15 that if they had been thinking of the land from which they came, they would have had opportunity to return. But they pressed on. They moved forward. Oftentimes we think the yesteryears, we glory in the yesteryears, and we think that the best is behind us. But as people of God, as the saints of God, the best is yet ahead. Amen, church? The, the, the best is yet ahead, not behind us, but what God has that is before us. So not only do we see, uh, not only is the journey of faith surrendering your life and your will and all to God initially, it involves exercising this same faith your entire life. God calls us to give up everything in one moment, but then he calls us to follow him for the rest of our lives as well to exercise this faith. So we see the call now we see the journey to a better country. Verse 9 tells us, by faith he went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. If you jump down to verse 11, it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. Why? Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Abraham's journey, beloved, was filled with hardship and failure. It is a myth to think that saying yes to Jesus Christ 
is going to be characterized by a red carpet experience. It's a myth to think that you're being called to a road of ease when you say yes to Jesus Christ. We need to be detoxed of that in American evangelicalism. Yes, there are some great times that we'll experience in this life, but Jesus said that when you follow after me, you must take up your cross. You must deny yourself. Following after the Lord requires us to experience some suffering on the way to glory. And that's always been characteristic of the people of God, Old and New Testament. We see that when God called Abraham to leave, he sent him to the land of Canaan. And when he arrived, there were other people living in the land. Well, God, you said that you're going to give me offspring. You're going to give me land. But this land to which I've journeyed is inhabited by other people. He lived in Canaan as a stranger. He didn't know these people. They didn't know him. He was a foreigner. Must have been a lonely kind of feeling to live amongst people who knew nothing about you and about whom you knew nothing. Not only do we see that, but Abraham was greeted by the famine committee when he arrived. When he left, when he left Haran and he went to Canaan, the Bible tells us that a famine struck the land. A famine. So he says, okay, God, you promised me offspring. You promised me land. And now I'm stepping out on faith and I get to this land and I've left prosperity to experience loss. And so we see here that the road to following God is, is marked by a road of suffering. Abraham experienced economic hardship. He left the land that was producing to come to a land that was taken. He experienced social hardship. He left the territory and a family that was familiar to him to come and dwell among people who were strangers to him. He left physical security. It tells us in the text in Genesis that when he left Canaan, he traveled down to Egypt. And he looked at Sarah and he said, listen, you're a, you're a beautiful woman. The matriarch must have been something because they, they, they were up there in age. And he said, people will come after me. People will take my life because of you if they think that you're my wife. So I need you to just go ahead and tell a half truth, which is a whole lie, a whole lie. So Abraham was concerned about his safety. So he gave up all sorts of securities. He gave up all sorts of comforts. He gave up all sorts of luxuries. And not only did he compromise once, but he compromised Sarah twice. He failed to trust God twice in very similar situations. But God showed up. God told Pharaoh, put a break on it. Don't touch that woman. She's mine. Don't harm that man. They're mine. We see that God is faithful to keep his people. Jesus says that I've come for all whom the Father has given me, and I will not lose one, but I will raise them up on the last day. No one can snatch us out of our heavenly father's hand. Paul tells us that nothing in heaven or on earth can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. When God comes after us, when he calls us, he keeps us all the way through and through. But there's something here. Abraham was looking towards that better city. The text tells us he was looking forward. So amidst these failures, 
amidst these hardships, he continued to look forward to that glorious city. Abraham had a look forwardness about himself that was prompted by the faithfulness of God. After his detour, God showed up, God rescued him, and he did this over and over again on his journey with Abraham. And Abraham returned to Canaan, which represented repentance. Abraham returned to Canaan, which represented that he was committed to following God's will. Sometimes we detour. We get sidetracked when we face hardship. But God graciously reigns us back in. Philippians 1 and 6 tells us, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. As we continue Abraham's story, we see that not only were they concerned about this land, but Abraham was old in age. The text tells us that he was good as dead. And Sarah was old in age as well. She was beyond the way of women. But here comes God saying that I am going to grant you an offspring through whom I'm going to accomplish my redemptive purposes. That looked impossible to them, naturally speaking. Naturally speaking, that was impossible. So they walked around trusting God. They walked around with this plan of God. But in front of them, it seemed impossible. So I could imagine that they scratched their heads a time or two on this journey. But again, in the midst of this hardship, they recognized that God was faithful. Why? Because he kept showing up. When their backs were against the wall, God kept showing up. When they messed up, God kept lifting them up. Grace kept on keeping them on path. So they believed. They kept walking. They kept keeping on because they were kept by him who called them. And we see here that God is faithful to keep his promise. Because Abraham was somewhere around 100. Sarah was 90 years old when she conceived Isaac. And God said to her the year before she conceived Sarah, about this time next year, you're going to have a child. And Sarah laughed. And God said to her, why did you laugh? She said, I did not laugh. He said, oh, but you did. About this time next year, you'll have a child. And you'll name him Isaac. And do you know Isaac? Do you know what Isaac means, saints? It means he laughs. So God got the last laugh and he turned her laughter of unbelief into laughter of belief. Won't God keep his promise? God is a faithful God, saints. He, 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 he is, he is, he is he's true to his word. His promises never fail. But we see here that God furthered this promise down the line because the consummate offspring, as Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ through whom all the families of the earth is blessed. Paul tells us that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. It doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have. Paul said, if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, You will be saved. So God keeps his promise. And anyone who says yes to Jesus Christ by faith becomes a spiritual offspring of Abraham. Won't God keep his promise, church? If you know that God is faithful, say amen. Amen. God keeps his word. Not only do we see that God calls us to a journey, not only do we see the characteristics of this journey, But we see how the journey ends. Look with me at the reward of a better country in verse 13. 
it tells us these all died in faith. They all died trusting God. They all died with confidence in God, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Abraham died without possessing that land. The only portion of that land that he possessed was a cave, was a burial plot for him and Sarah. Yet he stayed and he sojourned and he dwelled in that land, trusting God. He had seen God work in his life. He had seen God show up. He recounted the wonderful deeds of the Lord. And God's deliverance was the basis of Abraham's, Abraham's stick to itness. He didn't own the land. All he owned was a small plot, but he believed that God would settle his descendants in that land one day. In fact, Abraham purchasing that land was a testimony to the faith that he had in God. He got one small permanent corner of that land to declare that, God, I believe the promise you made to me will be fulfilled, even if I don't see it in my lifetime. He experienced, he experienced the miraculous birth of a child. He saw God show up when his loins were good as dead. He saw God show up when Sarah was beyond the way of bearing women. But the Bible tells us in John chapter eight, Jesus tells us that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. What did Ab Abraham saw something greater than the reality that was before him? He saw with his physical eyes that he only had one descendant. But he saw with his eyes of faith that there was a greater descendant that was coming. <clears throat> Abraham and Sarah were OK with temporary status here on earth because they understood that by faith, God had a better destination in mind. They understood that God had an ultimate home for them. So they were OK with the temporary existence. They were okay with living the life of a pilgrim. They were okay with living the life of a stranger. They were okay with living as an exile because they understood that God's best was yet ahead of them. They understood that just as Isaac pointed to Christ, that the promised land pointed to the heavenly city whose builder is God, whose foundations cannot be shaken as the writer in Hebrew says the city that they saw was the same city that John saw when he was exiled to the island of Patmos. In fact, Revelation 21 tells us that John saw the holy city. He saw the new Jerusalem descending down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And he said, I heard a voice say, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will be their God and they will be his people. God will dwell with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Neither will there be death. Neither will there be mourning. Neither will there be crying. Neither will there be pain. Behold, the former things have passed away. John saw the new creation. He saw heaven coming down to earth. 
He saw God's consummate heavenly abode. And in that city, he also saw people from every nation, people from all tribes, people from all languages, people from all backgrounds standing around the throne, worshiping God, saying that salvation belongs to our Lord who sits on the throne in the Lamb. God saw, John saw that new city right here on earth. He saw the redeemed creation, and that's the same city that Abraham saw. He saw the city, he saw the inheritance that awaits those who say yes to faith in God. He saw his descendant long down the line in Jesus Christ. And we, with Abraham, will inherit this promised land right here on earth, the renewed creation. This is what awaits those. This is the better country that Abraham saw. It was a glorious country. It was one where the glory, the the sufferings of this life could not compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. Abraham saw that. That's why he pressed on. He saw the new creation. And he saw a multitude of people that John said no man could count. And saints, God keeps his promise. God told Abraham, I will bless you with an offspring. And I will bless you with land. If you can count the stars in the sky, then you can count your offspring. And John said, let me tell you, I could not count the offspring. So God is able. God is faithful. He kept his promise to Abraham. And we too are recipients of that same promise. If we say yes to Jesus in faith. Listen, John tells us that no one unclean will enter into that city. No one detestable will. So if you're here this morning, you say, my preacher, that sounds like a wonderful place. But I sound more like those folks who told you they were having a good time sinning and not thinking about God. If you say yes to Jesus Christ in faith this morning, you will be forgiven of your sins and you will have a place in that kingdom right now. And that will be your future home along with all those who trust in Christ. The Apostle Paul says that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's the inheritance that waits all of those of us who are in Christ. Some of you all this morning need to be encouraged. You need to be reminded of the goodness of God amidst this journey of faith. Some of you have said yes to the Lord. And you've been met with hardship. The hardship committee welcomed you into the kingdom. Things were better before you said yes than they were after you said yes. Some of you are experiencing famine right now. You've got broken dreams. Some of you young people may have had a certain college picked out, but something has interrupted that. Some of you may have thought that you were going to play sports in college, but physically your body won't let you. Some of you are dealing with occupational hardship. You can't find a job. There's more money going out than money coming in. And you're wondering, does God care about you? You're wondering where all this is going to end, where all this whole thing of following God will end up. So you're struggling with career. You're struggling with hardship in that space. Some of you are struggling a mourning this day. You're mourning the death of loved ones. We prayed for a dear member of this church who lost a sibling. Some of you know the pain of losing a sibling. Some of you know the pain of losing your spouse. Some of you know the pain of losing a child. And you're wondering, is God good? 
You're wondering if history is going to end, if it's all going to make sense after all the pain that you've experienced subsequent to following God. Let me encourage you this morning that when you get to that city, it will all make sense. Because Jesus, Jesus will wipe away every tear from your eye. He has bottled up all your tears. There's no more death there. No more threat of death. There's no more pain. There's no more hardship. And so in your pain right now, be encouraged, Saint. Look to the city where God promises to address that pain that you are experiencing so real right now, but not temporarily. He promises to address that pain forever. Some of you all in here can identify with Abraham's stranger or his exilic status. If you are a minority in here this morning, you probably are very acquainted with cultural isolation. You feel like you're running all by yourself. People don't understand you. And sometimes the church even makes you feel that way, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Well, persevere because the Lord says in that city, you will fully realize your full seat at the table. You will recognize at that glorious table that you matter. You will recognize at that glorious table that you in the sight of God are somebody, even if you can't feel it right now. And all those feelings of isolation and all those exilic feelings will give way because you will finally be in your heavenly home. This morning, you may be saying socially, pastor, I feel like I'm in exile and that's not altogether bad. But some of you may be saying that at work, I'm being ridiculed because I'm a Christian. In my social circles, people wonder how in the world can I believe in such archaic things from antiquity? Some of you are looking at the news and you're saying that Christianity is being moved out of the mainstream. That our voice doesn't matter. Well, listen, saints, keep persevering. Because God says that in that city, you will meet a multitude of other people who experienced the same thing that you did. You will realize, alas, that you were never alone, that you had other brothers and sisters who were suffering and persevering for the name of Christ with their eyes fixed on that glorious city as well. I want to say to us, lastly, that some of us glory too much in the land where we now live. Some of us have longings too deep for the world as we now know it. Some of us obsess too much about the days that are gone behind us. Oh, I remember when things were this way. Oh, I remember how good it was way back when. And I want to say if you have an excessive obsession with the past, you may not be progressing as forward in your relationship with the Lord as you thought. I want to say to us this morning, if our patriotism exceeds our allegiance to Christ, then our longing for that better country is not deep enough. Listen, saints, as the people of God, as those who have said yes to Jesus, our passport says born in Zion. Our citizenship is ultimately heavenly. We're going to a place that exceeds any of the most blissful experiences we've ever had in this life. 
we are going to receive an inheritance that outweighs any inheritance that you could ever receive in this life. And the Hebrew writer says, along for that better country that awaits those who are in Christ Jesus. May the Lord give us grace to seek this heavenly country that awaits us in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy toward us. Lord, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would seal these words to our hearts so that we would serve you with joyful obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.